All right. Well, praise God. It is time for another discipleship class, discipleship class number two for the 2023-24 edition. And we've got a beautiful group uh, in the room this evening. And uh, let me come up over on the camera and talk to all those folks watching uh, online here in just a sec. Figure out how to do that. There we go. Amen. So I don't know if it's a record, but um, last week while we were here in the room, we had 92 people watching uh, online. And then since then, um, that, I did, somebody do the math. Amy, what's the math? 206 minus 92, that's 100. Anyway, <laughs> as of this afternoon, we've had 206 people that, uh, when I say people, that's not accurate. Um, so what now? So 114 more after a class that have tuned in later. And so like in some cases, they're like, for instance, um, uh, the folks in Kenya, by the way, they stayed up for the whole class. Um, so shout out to our brothers and sisters uh, over there. I don't know if they're watching. To, you know, they can obviously watch it after the fact. But sometimes, it's, you know, it only records one view, but there's a whole group of people watching. So um, I tell you that just so that you'll know you're, you're a part of something bigger than yourself, something bigger than me, something bigger than Heritage Christian Center. We're talking about God's kingdom and, and what Father is doing, uh, not just in our lives, but with others. And Listen, you, you can um, walk with the Lord and, and uh, you know, know Him individually, so to speak, but it's in environments like this with other people where we grow the best. Amen. And it's just something about it. It's the way God set it up and designed for it to work. So uh, praise God. So excited you're here tonight. Let's, let's pray and, and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've done for us, everything that you've given to us. Father, how you love us and, and how you believe the best about us, and you've been so patient with us, you've been so kind. And so, Father, as we come before you tonight, we ask you to help us, Lord, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit himself. He's our teacher. He's leading us and guiding us into all truth tonight. Lord, help us bring our hearts to attention here and receive, Lord, the engrafted Word of God. Lord, something that, that would become so a part of our lives that it changes even our very personalities, Father. It changes the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at other people and the way we look at our life ahead, uh, Lord, uh, from this night forward. Thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, Lord, for every person that's not only being blessed and ministered to by your word uh, in this class time together, but for all those that these men and women will touch for your glory in the future. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. All right, let's, uh, I'm going to put the title slide back up uh, for those watching online. And I'm doing the title slides a little different this year because, you know, sometimes people say, well, there was this class where you talked about this. Which one was it? And sometimes I can find that. But I'm trying to put a little more on the title slides, almost like keywords or, or trigger you know, things. So this will kind of give you a little idea of, of what I hope to cover uh, at least this much tonight. We're going to talk about the yoke of discipleship. We're going to talk about Manthano and Didasco. So don't let those words throw you if you've never heard those words before. Um, those two words are discipleship words from the original language, the Greek language, and I'll explain those to you here in a few moments. And then we're going to get into um, four levels of commitment uh, because discipleship uh, is a bunch of things, and one of the things that discipleship is, it's an uncommon commitment. And so we see in the scriptures that there are four distinct levels of commitment that are not only identified but are related uh, to discipleship. Now, before uh, we get into all that, I appreciate the feedback that I received from some folks online, a text message, emails, that sort of thing. And I noticed that there was something that I mentioned last week that was potentially confusing to a lot of people. And I want to begin 
the class this evening to clarify a few things, okay? And so I'm going to ask you to be patient with me. Um, there are uh, a lot of different uh, studies that I have going at the same time. And, for instance, things that I teach here at Heritage on Sunday morning, different from the things that I'll be teaching at, in the 7 o'clock hour here, uh, sermon series, things that we're really digging into, and, and then the things that I teach and do other places. And one of the things that's just really, really burning in my heart right now is what the Bible has to say about our fellowship with God. And it has been a really important uh, eye-opener uh, for me in the sense that I believe fellowship with God provides the greatest context that we would, we would ever need. In other words, there's so many things in the Scripture you'll never understand until you understand God's desire to have fellowship with you. And Satan does not want you to understand or enjoy fellowship with God, okay? And so he offers a substitute. And the substitute that Satan offers to people is what a lot of people consider to be the gold standard of Christianity. And it's this concept, which is a false concept. Now, I don't want to confuse you, and we'll dig into this more as we work our way through. And there's plenty of teaching online, uh, hccnow.org. Uh, that's the church website that covers this. We've been on this how long, Marty? I don't know, since May, I guess. I don't know. Lots, of, you know, we're 15, 18 sermons into this right now. So, But what happens, because that's kind of in my heart and mind right now, um, I made the statement last week that not even Jesus has a personal relationship with God. And, and I understand I should have given more. I apologize to anybody that I confused. I, sh I should have probably not just made that off-the-cuff comment and moved on. And when I say not even Jesus has a personal relationship with God, I'm not saying that Jesus and, you know, Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, okay? And, but they don't have relationship, they have fellowship. And what, what Satan has tried to do is to keep us from really understanding and embracing what it is that God desires to have with us which is fellowship, he's offered us something less than. Remember, one of the biggest enemies, one of the biggest threats to your best life is a better life, right? We, we tend to get desperate when things go south, and then when things get better, we tend to let our foot off the gas and not continue with the Lord and not continue to diligently seek Him. And so a lot of people have stopped short of what Father God really desires to have with them, and that's fellowship. And as the Lord began to show me this, first of all, you will never find personal relationship in the Bible. It's not, it's not in there. You will find a lot about fellowship. You'll find a lot about fellowship using that exact word. And then you will find a whole lot about fellowship using other, what I call fellowship related words. For instance, the word know, one of the Greek words that's translated in our English word know, this is eternal life. Jesus speaking, John 17, that they may know you, Father, and the Son whom you have sent. That word know means to have ongoing, uninterrupted experiential knowledge of God. Okay, that's fellowship. Amen. And so if, if I could just, again, and I apologize for going off subject, we will get to the things that we need to talk about tonight, all right? But I want to I give you the definition of personal, okay? I want to give you the definition of personal, and I think once you see what personal means, you'll realize, wait a second now, that's, that's not what God desires to have with us. And so the definition of personal is private, secretive, exclusive, self-defined, unique to the individual. That's what it means for something to be personal. 
So do you see right off the bat, our relationship with God was never meant to be, and, and ultimately when I say relationship, fellowship, let me say it another way. What we enjoy with God was never meant to be private, right? It was never meant to be um, secretive. It was never meant to be exclusive. In other words, if something is exclusive, that means it's yours and yours only. Amen. Well, amen. Jesus had an exclusive relationship with God the Father. He was the only begotten Son of God. But He is not the only begotten Son of God any longer. His title changed. After He bled to death naked on the cross and was raised from the dead three days later, providing a way for you and me to be born again, okay, His title now is the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. Good catch. Okay. I'm sorry. I, didn't, I probably shouldn't have thrown that, but I didn't want to go off camera. So anyway... I was watch, for those of you online, I was watching Sister on the front row trying to get her pen to write. So does that one right? Amen. Good deal. All right. <laughs> Removing all barriers to note takers. Amen. <laughs> all right. So now he's the firstborn among many brethren. He's, he's not um, the exclusive one and only, never will be another child of God, son of God. Okay. So then I think one of the biggest dangers in all of this, and listen, when I say we've spent weeks and weeks and weeks on this, and I just make this offhand comment that people are like, what is he talking about? I, I, forgive me. Again, please forgive me. But I want you to think for a moment, so much of what's wrong with the church today is this idea of what we have is private, what we have is secretive, what we have is exclusive, what we have, and here's the big one right here, self-defined. Self-defined. Do you realize how many people worship God in their own way? That they, they, they've decided what kind of relationship they want to have with God. And they're deciding what it looks like. Or let me say it another way. They have a relationship with God on their terms. You ever had a friend who was your friend on their terms? As long as, as, long as you were doing what they wanted to do. As long as you were participating in what they wanted to participate in. They were your friend. But they were never interested in what you wanted to do. Or where you wanted to go. Or how you wanted to spend time. See, and so this is how so many people come to God, you know, with this, with this concept of I have a personal relationship with God. So you're telling me you have something private that nobody else has, that you're keeping a secret, that you've defined yourself and is unique only to you. So when you put it in those words, it's like, ooh, ooh. But yet for so many in the body of Christ, we think a personal relationship with God is, is the best anybody can hope for or experience. Okay, now watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. Into the fellowship of His Son. Meaning He wants you to enjoy the same access, the, the same uh, benefit. Uh, in, in other words... We'll get into the, I know I'm fixing to make some more statements and I'm not trying to freak you out, but the Bible says you're a joint heir with Jesus. Amen. You are a co-heir, a joint heir with Jesus. You have the same standing with God the Father as Jesus. And Jesus is not ashamed. He's not reluctant to say that you are of the same seed and of the same nature as He is if you've been born again. All this is Bible. All, we'll get into this. It'll be weeks, but we'll get there, okay? So you were called in the same fellowship with God as Jesus himself. Okay? Now, one more, and then we'll move on, right? John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you. So we know that was the gospel of John. John was perhaps the 
single closest individual to Jesus of any human being on planet Earth. Okay? And he knew him. He walked with Jesus. And he reported to us what it was that he had seen and heard. He said, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you. Why, why do I declare it to you? Why did Paul do what Paul, I mean, why did John do what John did? Why did John minister the way John ministered? He said, I did this so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? So what is he saying? Notice that's complete opposite to secretive, exclusive, See, the church is acting like we're some exclusive club. That you gotta, you got to be good enough to get in. And that is not Jesus. That is not our Father. That is not how He operates. That is not who He is. Amen. Amen. So Paul, this is what, I keep saying Paul, this is what the Holy Spirit through John is saying. It's like, listen, you're welcome. And let me tell you, I've done all this so you can have fellowship with us. And just to clarify, us is our fellowship is with, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, keep, keep all that kind of, you know, as, as, a, as a backdrop in, in your heart and mind as uh, we move deeper into some things um, this evening. Praise God. All right. Now, we left off last week at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, Speaking of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And that, that holy calling is to have fellowship with Him. Man, see, th this is the thing about it. When I get to talking about fellowship, it, it, because it provides the context for everything, okay? Fellowship with God provides the context for everything. Let me, let me say it this way, and again, you'll hear this multiple times in the future, all right? But your number one purpose for existing is fellowship with God. And not only are all the other purposes second to that number one purpose, they are dependent upon it. Okay? Meaning what? Meaning if you want to be a good husband, a good wife, fellowship with God. Is that part of God's purpose for you? Possibly so. I believe so. Maybe some of you, you know, God's led a different direction. All right? Um, if, in other words, I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better servant leader. I'm a better grandfather. I'm, I'm a better friend. I'm a, I'm a better teacher. I'm a better uh, preacher. I'm a, I, it's everything that, that God has for me to do in life in representing Him to the world is made better and more successful through my fellowship with Him. So I'm going to say it again. Fellowship with God is your number one purpose, not your only purpose, but it's your number one purpose. And every other purpose is not only secondary to the purpose of fellowship with God, it's dependent upon it. Dependent upon it. Okay? I pray that, you know, not, not until, you know, wait until this class is through, but I pray that you know, somewhere early on in, in these classes that you will have enough truth, and some of you already do, you'll have enough truth and enough of the Holy Spirit operative and active in your life that when you stand in front of somebody trying to teach you from the Scriptures that does not have fellowship with God, you'll recognize it. Okay? Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not saying this bragging. I just want you to understand the things that I stand in front of people and, and, and I say I, I'm giving it to you. I'm sharing it with you. It's not for sale. Well, dare sell. It's priceless. How can you sell something priceless? Okay. The things that I stand up in front of people and say to people, these are things that I have learned through fellowshipping with God. These are things that He has taught me. These are things that He has 
Sean showed to me, Sean me and explained to me, okay? And so now, right, I'm able to stand up in front of other people and present things that are meaningful and making a difference in their lives, not because, you know, I've got this great intellectual mind. I mean, the Lord's blessed me with a brain. I'm not saying that. But again, I'm not speaking to you from my head. I'm speaking to you from things that have been deposited in my heart by the Holy Spirit because of my time fellowshipping with the Lord. Amen? Okay, now. And that's for you too. That's for you too. Praise God. All right. Now, He saved us and He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. It's not based upon what you've done to earn it or deserve it, good or bad. But according to, based upon His own purpose for you, His own desire for you, and His grace, His unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing and provision for your life. That's what grace is. And notice that this was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. As we work our way through these classes, some of this, as I've told you last week, is we're mentioning things that we will get to down the road and cover in greater detail. But one of the things that we see is that Father knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, that He has a plan and a purpose for you. You may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were no surprise to God. And he has a plan and a purpose for you. He wrote a story for you before you ever lived a single day of your life, Psalm 139. Okay? And you say, well, why did he write that part about my car wreck? And why did he write that part about my parents getting divorced? And why did he write that part? No, no, see, he didn't write that part. You wrote that part. I wrote those parts. And so a huge part of discipleship is understanding the story, the plan, if you will, that God has for your life. And with His help and the Holy Spirit's help, bringing you and me back onto the same page with Him, so to speak, so that we can now live out the rest of our lives according to the plan that He had for you and me before time began. And the purpose, fulfilling the purpose, enjoying the grace that He again gave to you before time began. I don't know, that's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible to me, all right? Now, um, let's do this. We've said this, different versions of this. Discipleship is about discovering and fulfilling your God-given destiny. Discovering and fulfilling your God-given destiny. Now, go with me to what I consider to be one of the most important, if not the most important verse in all the Word of God on the subject of discipleship. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. So Matthew 11... 28 through 30. I apologize for those of you on, online there. I left that screen overlay on for a long time. Amen. Praise God. All right, Matthew chapter 11, 28, 29, and 30. I'll put it on the screen. And this is Jesus speaking. And this is what he says. He says, come to me. So he's inviting us to come. I want you to Picture in your, in your imagination, in your mind, Jesus standing there with a really big smile on his face, completely disarmed, amen, as far as, you know, in no kind of arms folded, but I'm talking about arms open, smiling at you with the most welcoming look on his face that you've ever seen or have the ability to imagine, and him saying this to you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, Laboring here is and, and, and heavy laden. He's talking about being burdened with baggage. And he's talking about struggling in life and with life. Amen. Life was never meant to be a struggle. Life was never meant to be 
um, as hard as it's been for a lot of us. And Jesus has seen us in our struggles. He has seen us carrying weights and burdens. He's invited us to roll those burdens over on his shoulders so that we don't have to carry them anymore. And he's inviting you to come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One way I like to explain this, and, and it, may, it may be uh, way oversimplified, but the Greek word here is anapause, and it literally means, we get our English word pause from it, it literally means to make it stop. God will make it stop. He's saying, you come to me and I'll make it stop, okay? I'll make it stop. He's talking about a significant shift here in our lives. He then invites us, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, if you notice in parentheses, I put the preposition, all caps, O of, learn of me. This is the New King James Version. If you read the King James Version, the preposition is of me. And we'll explain in a moment why of is correct. All right. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay. Now, if you were interested in memorizing uh, a set of verses, I would rec recommend you memorizing these verses right here. They are that important. They, they are, are that significant, not just to the subject of discipleship, but um, to our lives and to what it is that Jesus desires to do uh, in us, for us, with us, and through us. Praise God. Now, um, let me do this. We're going to come back to this first, but let me put a couple of things on the screen right quick. All right. I think everybody knows what that is right there. Amen. That's a cross. And I could have probably taken a little more time to find one a little different, but I was, I was looking for something just kind of on a white background. Uh, and so, and so that's a cross and, and that cross, uh, symbolizes, uh, what Jesus did for our, for us, as us, for our salvation. And I don't know, there's probably more than one person in this room that's got a cross around your neck, and that's, that's an awesome thing, okay? So the cross is, is, is extremely important, and, and the symbol of the cross is extremely important because, again, it represents what Jesus has done for you, all right? But now I'm going to put another symbol, and if anyone in the room has one of these on a gold chain around your neck, you get the gold star for the day, okay? And maybe I need to have me one of these made. I talk about it so much, praise God. But here's the other symbol. And that symbol there is an actual yoke, Y-O-K-E. That is a yoke that Jesus invites you <laughs> to take upon yourself. He says, take my yoke. Okay. Now, there are a lot of yokes in this world. And I offer to you tonight that you're going to wear one. I would recommend you wearing his. Amen. But he says, take my yoke upon you. Take it. So he's offering it to us. But just because he's offering it, he's not going to grab us and force us into the yoke, right? But if you look carefully at this yoke, it's obviously a, a farm implement. Uh, it was something that, that they used in an agricultural society back in their day. And, and the idea behind a yoke is it's designed to combine the forces of two animals. So let's use the example of an ox, okay? So uh, one ox would slip his head and, and neck through one side of the yoke, and then another ox would go on the other side, and then the, the loop in the middle 
would be where you would attach a plow. And by joining those two oxen together, you are exponentially increasing not only their uh, power, their strength, uh, but also their endurance, all right? Now, it was customary, we'll come back to that maybe in a minute. It was customary for an older, wiser ox who knew the ropes, right, to be yoked together with a younger oxen, amen, so that the younger could learn from the older, so that the younger could learn how uh, to, 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 to work alongside um, the older, more experienced uh, ox at pulling a plow or whatever it you know, would be that, um, that they did, okay? So he says to you and me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. The yokes that this world has to offer us are not easy. They are not easy, okay? And there are all kinds of yokes. Uh, I mean, I'll just leave that alone. I think yoke of addiction, we could go through a whole list. It's, it's not necessary because really those are the ones we're through with, amen? This is the yoke that we desire. And the yoke is to discipleship what the cross is to your salvation. The yoke is to discipleship what the cross is to your salvation. I'm going to say it a couple more times. The yoke symbolizes discipleship in the same way that the cross symbolizes what Jesus did for you and for your salvation. So the cross symbolizes what Jesus did for you. The yoke symbolizes what Jesus wants to do. Listen to the preposition now. What he wants to do and desires to do with you. What he desires to do with you. Okay? Now, here's the amazing thing. Jesus said, I am meek and gentle and lowly in heart. Okay? He's saying that he's humble, that he's gentle. He, 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 is, he is not, um, you know... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right word here, the opposite of this, like, like stubborn and arrogant and, 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 and these kinds of things, okay? Um, and so here's the amazing thing, and I, I know this, I'm going to put that back up on for the folks watching online. Uh, here's, if you can imagine this and, and picture this, okay? Jesus has already slipped his head in one side of that yoke, and now he's asking you to come alongside and do the same together with him. Asking you and me to do the same together with him. And so what is he saying? He's saying that he, he wants to, to be yoked together, to be joined together with you. Amen. He wants to do life with you. He wants you to walk alongside him through your life and learn from him as you go. Amen. So, sweet Jesus. Let me... There's a lot that I need to say here, and I'm going to get it said, okay? So I said this already. The yoke is the discipleship, what the cross is to our salvation. The cross symbolizes what Jesus did for you, and the yoke symbolizes what he desires to do with you, okay? So Jesus, the Bible teaches, died for you and me while we were still sinners. He did it for you. He did it for me. And are you ready for this? He did it alone. He did it alone. I know it's a pretty obvious answer, but let me go ahead and ask it anyway, okay? How many will fit right there, okay? Just one. Only one person will fit on that cross. Only one will fit on the cross, but again, how many will fit in that yoke right there? Two, right? So what Jesus did for you as you, he did alone on the cross by himself, 
But now, now that we've received this gift of salvation and all that He bought and paid for us and for you and me on that cross, He wants us to learn about it in the yoke of discipleship, walking alongside with Him, together with Him. Now, the yoke then, think about it, it represents partnership. Amen? The yoke represents cooperation. It represents proximity. Amen? In other words, if, 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 if uh, two oxen are in this thing together, they're going to be really close. They're going to be walking really close. And, and, and what we see is that if, one, if the younger ox is out of step with the older ox or vice versa, then it's going to saw that thing back and forth and it's going to make it very uncomfortable. Amen? So as we learn to walk in the Spirit, as we learn to walk by faith, as we learn to, to take those steps along together with Jesus, are you, are you seeing this, right? Uh, we're, we're learning from Him with Him. Now, I believe that the yoke in addition to it being a symbol of discipleship, that it's also a symbol of fellowship, okay? It's a symbol of fellowship. And let me, again, these are things that maybe some of you have heard and are familiar with, but maybe some of you not so much. And I don't want to spook you. I don't want to scare you off. I don't want you to think, oh, I heard about this doctor. You know, no, just, again, you got to stay around, amen, and, and, and get the whole picture. And I can't give you the whole picture even in, in, in a handful of classes, amen. It's, it's going to take a little while. And we're enduring sound doctrine, amen. And if you have questions, please ask them. Please ask them. If, because you asking, you know, e online, email them to me, what, what have you, praise God. Because that, that helps me. Um, you know, better communicate and make sure that I'm, again, the, the people that ask me about the remark, you know, Jesus doesn't have a personal relationship with God. I'm like, oh man, I've done said something that people don't understand. So, but stay with me now, okay? We see that when we were born again, when we, when we were born again, we became something through that experience that we were not before. And that's, if I have favorite classes, the classes that we'll get to, and it's going to be weeks on this one, but the classes that we get to about our salvation. So there's a lot of people have been saved. A lot of people receive salvation, but they have no idea what happened to them when they were saved. They have no idea what's true about them now that they have been born again. They have no idea who they became the day they became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so there are some things that are true about you now. They may not look True, if you stare in a mirror, they may not feel true, they may not seem true, but they're true. Amen. And one of the things that we see that happened when you were born again is that you became one with God. Your spirit and God's spirit became one spirit because when you were born again, He buried the old you in an unmarked grave and He put a new spirit in you. Okay? And we'll break all this down in the days ahead with stick men and spell it out and draw it out and discuss it, you know, 16 ways of Sunday, okay? But I'm just, again, a lot of this is overview, but you need to have a little bit of an understanding um, with, about these things to understand at least in part where we are right now, okay? So when you were born again, you became one spirit with God. In the same way that when a man and a woman are married... They enter into a marriage covenant before God, and the Bible is very clear that the, the marriage covenant and what happens when a man and a woman enter into a marriage covenant, it, it is meant to be an earthly example of this heavenly reality. 
So when a man or a woman are born again, God joins their spirits together as one. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. All right? Okay, you see in this. So in the same way, when you were born again, you entered into a covenant with God and you were born of His seed. And at that time, you became one with God. But now watch this. A man and a woman can be joined together in marriage and be one spirit. But that doesn't mean they will automatically function together in harmony and oneness. Amen? So, two words I want to give you here, all right? They're the words um, positional and functional. Positional and functional, all right? And so, a yoke, we're talking about a yoke still, okay? A yoke is both positional and functional, okay? Now, let's go back to that man and woman. They get married, all in love, all excited. God joins together, makes them one spirit, okay? But now they've got to take their positional oneness and learn how to live together in functional oneness. They've got to learn how to work together, to be partners, to not work against each other or pull against each other, but to work together. Jesus said, I can do nothing without my Father. See, Jesus is the classic, perfect example, classic example of what we're talking about here. He said, me and my Father are one. I can't do anything without my Father. He says, the Father in me does the works. So we see that Jesus understood and lived in, in His life example for all of us. Jesus understood. I feel like some of you slipping away. Come on now. We, we, we just kind of took it up a level or two. Don't just stay with me. Praise God. Let the Holy Spirit help you. You say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm understanding all this. It's, 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 it's important that you understand it with your head, but more important that you receive it in your heart. Okay? And so we're planting seeds. Amen. We're planting seeds. Okay? Are you with me? And if you'll just let the seed of God's truth come into your heart, the Holy Spirit will begin to work with that seed. And we'll put some more water on that seed. And that seed will start to produce results and fruit in your life. And it will come by way of, of things changing in your perspective. It will come by, you know, as we said last week, you catch yourself responding differently than you did six weeks ago. And so just let the Word of God receive it, meekness, engrafted Word of God. You say, there's no way I'm one with God. If you've been born again, you are one with God positionally. All right? Discipleship is about learning how to translate the inward reality of your positional oneness with God into an outward reality of functional oneness with Him. That's the growth. That's the development. That's discipleship. Amen. Are you seeing this? And so do you see then how the yoke, you see, in the yoke with Jesus, our positional oneness with Him becomes functional oneness with Him. Let's go back. I'm going to put the picture of the oak back up here. All right. So, like, I'll never forget. It's been several years ago now. I used to teach four mornings a week at the foundry. And, um, and, and so I had, this was before, anyway, I shouldn't even have said all that. But I would put my own teaching notes on the screen there in the chapel at the foundry. And I'll never forget, it's probably eight, ten years ago, maybe longer than that. I put this picture on the screen in the foundry. And I, I, mean, I thought people were fixing to run out of the building, you know. <laughs> Right? Because I'm going to tell you straight up now, your flesh doesn't even like to look at that. <laughs> Amen? 
Your flesh doesn't even like the thought of that. But yet there's something deeper inside of you that longs to be in a yoke with Jesus. It's because positionally you already are. Amen. But if you put two oxen in a yoke in a stall together, that's not functional oneness. You've, you've, you've located them close to one another, but the, the functional oneness comes through the, the walking and the doing and the living together. Amen. The life that, you know, doing life together, as I like to say, um, with Jesus. Amen. Are you following this? This is really important. Okay. So again, a yoke is both positional and functional. Amen. It positions us, but then there's the functionality of it that keeps us together with Jesus. Now, when it comes to this yoke, it's entirely up to you and me to submit to it. It's entirely up to you and me to give him that place in our lives. It's entirely up to you and me to say, okay, you know what? I've done it my own way. I've been pulling this plow, so to speak, by myself or, or with, with a bunch of, I want to say fools and losers. So I don't want to say that, but you know what I'm saying. A bunch of people who don't, amen, that I ain't got no, don't be unequally yoked. Anybody ever heard that verse? Okay. So in the Old Testament part of the law, they were forbidden to put an, an ox and a donkey in a yoke together. So they're not, they're, not, they're not equal. They're not the same. And, and that's, that's not good for either one. Amen. My brother Donald says, next thing you know, that, that ox will be acting like an ass. But he didn't say that. But amen. All right. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> amen or oh me, right? Okay. Pick up them bad habits. Praise God. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So praise God. So, so a yoke is both positional and functional. Amen. It's where positional oneness becomes the functional oneness that Father God has for us to experience and enjoy. All right. Now, there is, let's see where we're going with this next. All right. So, um, <clears throat> amen. The, the word learn here, I want to make sure I've got all this. Yeah, thank you, Lord. All right. So the word learn here is the Greek word manthano. Let me go back. I need to put this in multiple places in my notes. All right, here we go back on the screen. So come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Okay? Learn of me. We'll talk about of and why it's from and of are different here in just a moment. All right. But let's talk for a minute about this word learn. Okay. The word learn in the uh, original language is the, uh, the word manthano. And so I'll put this on the screen. Okay. Learn equals manthano. All right. And you say, well, that's an odd word. It's because it's, a, it's the transliteration of a Greek word. When I say transliteration, Greek alphabet's not the same even as the English alphabet, but if it were, this is what um, it would say. It would say manthano, all right? Now, if you notice underneath on the screen there, there are these other words, um, methetes and methetria, okay? Methetes and methetria. These words are derivatives of this word manthano, okay? And they happen to be the, the words translated into our English word disciple, and the reason there's two of them is in the original language, they are gender-specific, kind of like in French you know, and, and what have you. There's some words that they mean the same thing, but you say it one way if it's a female, the other way if it's a male. So a mathetes is a male disciple, a mathetria is a female disciple, and they both come from this word manthano, all right? 
So in order to understand what discipleship is, we need to understand what manthano means. And so here is this word manthano. Manthano, also uh, discipleship, it simply means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Right? So discipleship then is not just about learning in a classroom. Certainly Jesus would sit down, you know, would, would sit down or, or have his disciples sit down or you know, people that followed him or what have you, uh, and he would teach them things. But then we see that, as we were talking about before class began, there would be times where Jesus, you know, the whole world then would become his classroom, and, and he would teach people by experience. Amen. Now, we, for the most part, I guess not, you know, obviously more and more people are starting to watch online and, and that sort of thing, but I'll, so I'll say it this way. Here in the United States, um, we, we have a, what we could say, a Western culture perspective on things. But Jesus wasn't from the United States. He wasn't raised in a Western culture, much less a modern Western culture. He was raised in an ancient Eastern culture. And in an ancient Eastern culture, the uh, priority was placed upon experiential learning over classroom learning. And one of the ways we could explain this is it's possible for you in the United States to go to school, get a four-year degree in business, then stay two more years and get a master's degree in business and never have a professor who's actually ran a business. Okay? All right. Because we place a high priority on theory and concept and, 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 the, and these sorts of things. But see, that's not discipleship. Discipleship isn't just sitting in a class uh, learning things. It is part of it. But where the real discipleship takes place is in that yoke, right, <laughs> where we start doing life together with Jesus and, and we learn to recognize his voice when he is speaking to us and instructing us, okay, I would recommend that you keep a pen and piece of paper handy, amen, and start writing down things that he says to you, especially when you're studying his word, even more so when you're meditating on a specific portion of his word, because that, more than any other place, will be the best place for you to train the inward ear of your spirit to hear his still small voice inside of you. And then when he speaks to you, value it. Amen. Value it. Value it enough to write it down. When he shows you something, value it enough to preserve it and then tell somebody, share somebody, share it with somebody. And let me tell you what will happen. He'll start, he'll start showing you and telling you and speaking to you and revealing more and more and more things to you. Okay? All right? Become a steward. That's how the Bible explains it. Become a steward of what it is that he shows you and reveals to you. And a steward is someone who counts it as precious, who, who, who keeps it in a, in, a, in, a, in a form you know, where it's accessible and, and spends some time thinking about it, meditating upon it, but then also shares it with others. And so begin to develop that. And so he'll, he'll begin to speak to you. He'll begin to, to, to show you things in your life that he wants to help you with and, and, and doors in, in your life that, that you need to open up to him. And all of this, again, is when you decide that you're going to connect up with Jesus in that yoke of discipleship and walk alongside him and do life together with him. 
So this requires an effort. As a matter of fact, that's where this word intense effort comes from. It's an intense effort. It's not casual. It's, it's not, you know, I get around to it when I can. Amen. Um, it, it, it may be reading uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians every day for a month. I know it may sound crazy, but, you know, again, it's this kind of uncommon commitment. All right. So we take this word manthano, which means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Experiential learning is the highest form of learning. So when you learn something by experiencing it, and see, that's why Satan never wants you to experience um, what it is that, 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 that the ways of God operating and working in your life. I've, I have a sermon that I'm so excited about preaching. I thought I was going to preach it Sunday, but it's, it's out of John 6 where there's a large multitude coming towards Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, feed them, right? And uh, the Bible says that Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he asked the disciples, you know, what they were going to do, basically. Where, you know, where can we buy bread to feed these people? And so listen very carefully. The Bible says that Jesus said that to them to test them. Now you think, test? What in the world? Well, anybody ever been to school and not had an exam? So he's not testing them like, like he trying to see what they're made of. He's examining them to see where they are, what they know, what, they've, what they understand up to this point. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, here's the interesting thing. That word exam or test, examine them, test them, is the Greek word piradzo. I don't have this in my notes right here accessible, so just stay with me for a minute, okay? It's the Greek word piradzo, and, f- and from that Greek word piradzo, we get our word empirical, okay? Now, you say empirical like, you know, Star Wars, Empire. No, stay with me, okay? Empirical as opposed to theoretical, right? So if something is theoretical, that, that means that, okay, we understand the theory, we understand the principle, we understand the concept, all right? But so much of what we know about God and His Word, sadly, is theoretical. And, and the difference between something theoretical and something empirical is that when it's empirical, it's something that's been proven to you by practical experience, Okay? So a lot of people know the Bible says, given it will be given unto you, good measure, breast down, shaken together, shall men pour it into your lap. Right? A lot of people know what the Bible says about tithing and that God will open the windows of heaven and pour out into your life blessings that you don't have room enough to contain. Don't get nervous. We're not taking up an offering right now. But just hear me, okay? See, we know these things in theory, but the devil will fight you tooth and toenail because he never wants you to know them empirically. In other words, he never wants the theory to become proven to you by your experience. Because once you do it God's way and experience God's results, you are not going back to the inferior, meager elements of this world, the rudimentary elements of this world, as the Holy Spirit said through, through the Apostle Paul. It's because God's ways are so much better. But if God's ways are only theories, right, when we're squeezed, we're going to do what we know will get a result. And what we know will get a result will be what we've done in the past that's gotten the result, however inferior that result may have been. Okay? So again, discipleship is this idea of learning by experience. And this is the highest level. This is the highest form of learning. Amen. Okay. And because it is the highest form of learning, it coincides with the highest level or the highest form of teaching. 
And so if you remember the title slide, we had the words manthano, but then we had a hyphen in between, and we had this other word, didasco. Didasco. Now, we, have, we get our English word didactic from this, okay? And so let me put didasco up on the screen, praise God. Didasco is teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. Now, I know that's kind of wordy, okay, and we'll explain it. I'll leave it up there because I know some of you are taking notes. It's a good opportunity for me to get a little sip of water there. So didasco, it corresponds to manthano. Manthano is to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Didasco is when the teacher is teaching the disciple for the purpose of assimilating himself or herself into those they're teaching. All right. Now, this word assimilating might be the biggest word like mayonnaise in the whole definition. And to assimilate simply means to, assim, to make similar. To assimilate means to take what's... Uh, so Jesus, let's, Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? Jesus was looking for people who would respond to him with an intense effort to learn by experience because his desire was to reproduce himself in them. Are you seeing this? Man, I got up on my tippy toes for that one. I got excited right there. All right. All right. So he, that's what it means to assimilate. He, he wanted to take what was in him and pour it into them, right? So that they could learn from him by experience and, and therefore be able to do what he was doing. Now, that may freak a lot of people out right there, but what did Jesus say in John 14? He said, the works that I do, you'll do also, and even greater works than these, because I go to my Father. Okay? All right? Okay? Now, I told you last week, we ended last week on a, on a bang, all right? I mean, I thought, I, I need to go back and listen to last week's class. I thought the Holy Spirit was really moving among us, all right? But one of the things that we ended with last week was this realization that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Amen. That, that we're, we're involved in something now that actually predates the, the creation of this planet. And, and you were right there in the middle of it, right? In Christ Jesus before time began. And now here we are, the year of our Lord, 2023. And we know from the scriptures that God's got big things planned after this earth no longer exists in the, in the form that it's in right now. We know from the scriptures that things will not always be as they are right now. We sing a song by Chris, Chris Tomlin and it's, and, and it's that song where, do we feel the world is broken? We do. Have you ever heard that song? It kind of echoes back and forth. And then it comes to this part where, do you intend to dwell with us again? And God does. Amen. And so there is coming a day, man, like when you'll be walking down the street and you go, oh, hey, Jesus. And you say, hey, how you doing over there, brother? You know, amen. All right. So you say, Pastor Martin, do you believe that? I am all that. That's just something I believe. I didn't make this up. This has made me. This has made me up. Praise God. Amen. And so we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're a part of something eternal. Amen. And we're in this really, uh, I would even call it a sliver. And a sliver of time is really not even enough. I mean, your life is a vapor inside of a sliver. Okay? Amen. I'm telling you. There, there will come a day when we look back on, on the, a thousand years from now. We say, hey, first of all, remember that time in class you were talking about a vapor in a sliver? <laughs> you know, again, it's, it, we'll be looking back on it like it's some, like you look back on things now when you were three years old, four years old, five years old, right? 
It's like, man, remember when me and my brother used to get on that tricycle? And, so, you know, again, it, it, it'll, earth and life as we know it on earth right now, there's coming a day it will be a distant memory. But listen to me. What God has planned and purpose for you will just be getting started. It'll just be getting, it'll just be underway. Praise God. But yet this vapor within a sliver, I've never said it that way, but thank you, Lord, for that. I like, I like words, and those are cool words together, okay? This vapor that we're living within this sliver of time as we know it here on, on planet Earth, right, is such a significant vapor within a sliver because so much of, of what we do and learn and, 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 and how we respond to God now is going to determine where we start in the next life. Now listen, there's a lot of this that Father hasn't revealed to us, but He has given us clues. Things that He has hidden from us. And one of the things that we see is that some of the rewards involve cities. What in the world? Right? Right? Well done, Christy. I need you to go over here and oversee three cities for me on the north side. Right? I mean, what? I don't, I don't, I don't understand all that. I don't understand all that, but we also see that not everyone, right, is, is, is rewarded like that. I think, I think a lot of people can get to heaven and have to go back to school. And, and there's some people who have been there who, who have commented on that. And you say, what? Well, again, he's preparing you for something that's bigger than even your vapor within a sliver. Amen. Amen. Not to mention our rewards. Remember, your right standing with God is not based upon what you do. But how you will be rewarded one day when you get there is based upon what you've done with what you were given. The time that you were given, the talent that you were given, the resources that you had access to. Amen. So I'm just saying, way to go for being in discipleship class. I think you're heading in the right direction. I mean, we could have been doing a whole bunch of other things right now. But we've decided to give God this place in our lives. Remember one of the things we said last week about a disciple. A disciple is someone who's willing to give God a place in their lives that others aren't willing to give Him. That's not judgmental. Amen. Now see, when, 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 when God's favor and blessing and reward, because He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, He said you must believe two things. You must believe that He is, and right next to believing He is, you must believe that, that, that seeking Him is always worth the effort diligently seeking Him, He always rewards it. Amen. Now, see, there are going to be people in your life, especially some of you that are here from other parts of the state or other parts of the country, and, and God working in your life, and, and you become a diligent seeker of Him, and now all of a sudden, God's going to begin to reward you, promote you, do things for you. Some of you heard Kim's story. I don't know if you've heard Amy's story, things that are happening in their life. And there, there are people who are on the outside looking in, probably screaming, that's not fair, that ain't right, what did she do to deserve this, lucky, all those other things. See, they don't realize what did God say? Seek, seek Him in secret and He will reward you out there in front of everybody. Amen. Amen. And that's not just in the life that is to come. That's in the life that now is and the life that is to come. That's what Jesus said. Amen. So it always pays off. Listen, you, you won't ever do anything for God in, the name of, in, in, in His name, seeking Him, spending time with Him, going after Him, trying to learn, especially to learn to be better equipped to help somebody else, that He will not, I mean, absolutely smile on you to the point that you glow in front of people. Amen. Okay? So, Didasco is teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. 
We're not, I, don't, I don't mean this trivial or silly or whatever. We're not, this isn't about playing church. This isn't about seeing who can be the, the most religious. This, this is about being made in the image and likeness of God, falling from that high and honorable position, Jesus coming and rescuing us from the, the, the hell that we made our bed in, and restoring us back into oneness and fellowship with God the Father, repositioning us, right, positional oneness with Him, so that we could now learn from Him how to function as one with Him. Amen. And so, didasco, teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. Let me give you, I gotta, I've come way down in my notes, I've got to go back and catch some things, but let me give you this. This one here, and then we'll go back up, all right? It's one of my favorite verses related to this. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher. King James Version says master, so master, disciple, okay? A disciple is not above his master, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher, will be like his master. Again, this captures the essence of the Manthano Didasco operative here. This, this is... This is what this is all about. People who are willing to make the kind of commitment that's necessary to put forth the effort that's required, amen, to learn from Jesus experientially, okay? See, he, he responds to that. He responds to that. When your heart really wants to know something, he will show you or he will put somebody in your life to show you or he'll put somebody in your life who will say something that will prompt something on the inside of you that now you see it. Help you connect the dots that are already there in your heart. Amen. He said this, right? If you, if you halfway seek me, you'll find me. Is that what he said? No, he said the day that you seek me with your whole heart is the day that you'll find me. Is the day that you find me. It's that singular focus that we've been talking about on Sunday morning here since January at Heritage, okay? That singular focus. Because what you look to is what you look through. Amen? And whatever you look to for your provision, for your help, for, for whatever it is that you want and need in life, that will become the lens you look through and live through. So if you are looking to money, if you're looking to other people, if you're looking to all these other things, then you'll always see what you want and need through the lens of money, through the lens of other people in your life. But if you look to God... If you look to Him, you will see your life and everything that has anything to do with you through His lens. And that's living right there. That's when, that's when the path before you is, is glowing like a landing strip for a 747 airplane at midnight. Amen. 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 So a disciple's not above his teacher. We'll never be above Jesus. But notice what is he saying here? He's explaining this whole discipleship, uh, you know, teacher, discipleship, uh, didasco, manthano uh, principle here. Is that he is, his desire is to, to bring them up to be able to do what he does the way he did it and does it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. All right. Am I coming on too strong for you, Emma? You good? Everybody all right? All right. Now. Let's do this. Um, let's talk about the difference between these things right here. Why is it learning of? All right. So think for a minute the difference between learning about something or learning about someone. Okay. 
And for some reason, I, I don't know why President Lincoln always comes to mind when I teach this. Okay, So you realize that you can learn about President Lincoln. Amen? You, you can read about him, uh, biographies, things of that nature. A uh, lot, I guess, in you know, history books and things about President Lincoln. And to some extent, even, you could learn from him. Now, obviously, not directly, but... You know, things that he believed, uh, principles that he lived by, things that he uh, espoused. And, and uh, it's my understanding he, he was a, a godly man, uh, knew God. Um, so you, you could learn about President Lincoln and you could learn from him. Uh, but here's the one thing that, that you will not be able to do, okay? And that's to learn of him. Because learning of means to, to learn personally. When I say personally, let me, I don't like that word. It just means so much that we don't need, okay? How about intimately, all right? Uh, learning of means learning who he is, learning what he is like, his nature, his character, and his personality from firsthand experience. See, the only way you could learn of President Lincoln is if you were alive in the 1800s and spent time with him. Now, you, he doesn't have to be present for you to learn about him. He doesn't have to be present for you to learn from him. But to understand what it means to learn of, he, he has to be there for you to learn of him because it's firsthand experiential knowledge. I feel like I'm boring some of you. You still with me? Okay. So notice what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, come learn about me. He didn't say, come learn from me. It is important. I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish the importance. I want you to learn about Jesus. I want you to learn from Jesus. But learning about him and learning from him, right? You realize the people who uh, um, nailed him to a cross and crucified him, they learned about him, uh, some things anyway. I mean, there's obviously varying degrees of what that looks like. But it was, that, it was that group of disciples and even that inner circle within the disciples, these were the men and women who learned of him. Now, you say, Pastor Mark, are you, are you making a bigger deal out of this than you ought to make? I don't think so because let's look at, let's look at this again. Um, verse number two, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And notice the very next thing that he does is he reveals something about his character. He reveals something about his nature. He says... I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Now we're talking about the, 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 the king of the universe here, king of kings. We're talking about the creator of the universe. Amen. But he's not full of himself. He's very humble. He's very gentle, very kind and compassionate and, and, and preferential of others. It's, 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 he is love. I mean, God is love and Jesus is God. Okay. So when he says, learn of me, he didn't say, uh, because I know a whole lot of stuff that will help you, right? He, he reveals something very intrinsic, very critical to, to who he is when he said, Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right? So, praise God. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying here? I, I, obviously, we could spend a long, long time on this, but... But Jesus is saying, take my yoke and learn of me. Learn of me. Learn my, learn my ways. But not just ways from the perspective of um, principles. You could learn ways from him. He's talking about learning them again, yoked together with him experientially. Now, 
There is um, one last thing, at least for now, uh, that relates to this passage that I want you to see. And that is a very important pattern. A very important pattern. And as we work our way through these classes, I will be pointing out to you patterns that have been established in heaven before time began that are now introduced here on earth. One of the most obvious patterns that it's been established by God is the one referred to as seed time and harvest. Okay? So that's a pattern. You reap what you sow. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And we see that that is both a, uh, a physical um, uh, pattern, uh, but it's also uh, more than physical. It's deeper than that. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual truth as well. Okay? And giving and receiving are linked to the pattern of, of planting and harvesting. And so, amen, we'll talk more about that when we talk about money. Now, but here, here is the pattern. The pattern is, and if you look close, you'll see it in the scriptures. Jesus, first of all, says, come and I will give. Then he says, learn and you will find. Come and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. All right? So the pattern is come and I will give, learn and you will find. Or I like to substitute, it means the same thing, but it just for some reason registers in my heart stronger than find. And that is the word discover. Discover. Okay? So again, Jesus, it's, it's not just, when I say it's a pattern, and I'll show you in a minute what I mean by that. A pattern in the sense that it doesn't just apply here, but it, it applies to so many other things. For that matter, every other thing, and if I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit will show me later, but I believe that's an accurate statement. Every other thing that Father God uh, has given to you, is doing for you, in you, and through you, with you, what have you, is it follows this pattern. Come and I'll give. Learn and you'll find. Learn and you will discover. Okay? So what, what is he saying here? Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. All right? One of, the, one of the reasons that I get so excited, I made the statement last week that when discipleship class starts, it's like a kid at Christmas for me. Okay? And one is because, the, I mean, I'm, I, I came out of my mother's womb to do this. I mean, I, I know this is what I, one of the things that I've been put on this earth to do. And, and I get excited about that. There's a lot of passion in this for me, if you hadn't figured, <laughs> if you hadn't figured that out by now. Okay. Uh, I get pretty stirred up about it. And uh, I used to be, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness, God. But I used to be so like, you don't want to come to discipleship class, do you? To like, come to discipleship. Please come to discipleship. I can't teach you everything you need to know to live the life God created you to live a couple hours a week. I get, you know. So anyway, but I mean, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And there's different reasons why I'm passionate about it. But here's, here's one. I practiced saying this today so I wouldn't get emotional. I'm not going to get emotional in Jesus' name unless I need to get emotional. Okay, but here's one. Here is one of the main reasons, one of the most important reasons I get so excited about discipleship class. 
is because it gives me the opportunity to tell you things and to show you things from the Word of God that I wish somebody had showed me years ago. Things that I struggle with in my life, the ignorant, didn't know, serious, sincere, sincere in everything that I was trying to do, but in a lot of cases, sincerely wrong. Like, for example, we'll talk extensively in here about the gift of righteousness that you've been made. You've been made, the Bible says, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you were made that not based upon performance. See, I used to think that my right standing with God depended upon my behavior. I used to think that if I was going to be right with God, I had to be good and do everything right. And if I ever did anything wrong, I wasn't right with God anymore. And I struggled with that for years and years and years. Amen. But see, here's the reality. My right standing with God is not based upon what I do for God. It's based upon what God has done for me in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, when I understood that from the Word of God, it changed my life. Because now I went from serving God in hopes that He would accept me and love me to serving God because I was confident that He accepted me and loved me. I wasn't trying to earn my righteousness, right? I was trying to honor my Father with the life that I live. It's a, what I call a significant shift. Another one of the things that I'm so excited to, to, to explain to you is that what you do doesn't determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do. And so many people are struggling in life thinking that what they do determines who they be when it's just the opposite. But until you know who you be in Christ, who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, you'll continue to struggle thinking that you know, you're trying to make yourself something that you're not. That you're trying to become something that you're not. When in reality is you're learning how to live and walk out, right, who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ, this inner reality of the new birth. And so th this, is, this is why, again, right up there with some of the other handful of reasons that I've already ex explained to you, I get so excited about this. Because remember now, these aren't things that I've just read in a book. See, th this, is, this is experiential things. These are things that me and my wife have experienced. These are things that we've walked out and lived out in our lives We've walked out and lived out our, our lives as, as, as a newly married couple, um, realizing the pull that is on so many newly married couples outside of their families. You know, we were raised in church, went to church every time the doors were open. Now we're no longer on our mom, mom and daddy's roof, right? Now we got to do it as unto God for ourselves, not because somebody's making us do it. We, we, we you know, the, the tithing part, we both had already learned that, we're already doing that. But then as a couple, combining our money together, believing God for our first home, believing God for our first home, our first car, then our children. So we, and then we have those years in business together. And I'm, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm trying to help you know them who labor among you. I want you to understand better where I'm coming from. These are things that we've lived out you know, it, it was, a, I think, a real important period in my life when Pam and I went into business. Um, and, and what we learned on the mountain of business is that everything that worked for us in ministry now worked for us in business. 
Everything that worked for us in our daily lives and finances, it now worked for us in business. When I say worked for us, produced results, the wisdom of God produces results, um, we, we applied that same wisdom. But now notice what God is doing. He's proving these things to us. It's going from theory to proven, empirical, eternal truth of God so that now I can confidently stand in front of people and say, I know something that works. The world is looking for something that works, and we have what works. They're looking for diets that work. They're looking for exercise programs that work. They're looking for medications that work, okay? Uh, Brother Jeremy Pearson's Kenneth Copeland's son-in-law, uh, son-in-law, excuse me, grandson, um, uh, preached uh, that at Southwest Believers Convention, a sermon on the world looking for something that works. And, and faith works. Amen. All these things work. These things produce results. And so, you know, again, I'm, I'm not here just because, well, this is my gig. It's what I'm paid to do. So let me read a few Bible verses. To you. No, I'm passionate about this because I know firsthand what it has produced and continues to produce uh, and, and increasing measures in my own life. And I'm not just talking about physical things, financial things, material things, the levels of peace and joy uh, that, that, that I enjoy, that my wife and my, now my children are enjoying. It, again, it's priceless, right? We're growing up into Jesus by having heard and by continuing to speak to others the truth in love. And so, again, I get so stirred up. And one of the things that, that blesses me so much is when we start these classes again or whatever, people get on Facebook who've been through these classes and they talk about, man, my life changed forever 15 years ago sitting in that class, you know. And, and it's, that's glory to God. That's not, listen, I, remember, I, fell, I labor in the Word and I fellowship with Him and He reveals things to me and shows me how to present them to people in a way that they can understand them. And it's, amen, it's, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. There's work, there's labor, but amen, not like me laying brick out here the other day when it was 100 degrees. That's labor, right? Okay, amen. Are you still with me? Okay, praise the name of the living God. Whoo! It's 6.30. What in the world? Amen. Time goes. Amen. Did anybody know it was that late already? See, nobody looking at their watch. Let me say something, too, that's very special about this class, okay? That's very special about the, the, the opportunity and the environment. Every person in this room and every person watching online right now is doing so because they want to. And that makes a difference. That makes a big difference, Okay. You're here because you want to, and there's a biblical principle that, that involves drawing on a gift that someone has that God has given to you. Amen. And, and when I find myself in a room full of people who want to know, who want to hear, who want to grow, who want to learn, again, it's, it's, it's life-giving, it's eternal. Um, when the Bible says we entertain angels unaware, I believe that literally happens, but I also believe what he's saying to us there is a bigger principle. That is, we get very close to heaven sometimes without realizing, you know, that heaven is just right here with us and the things of God are right here among us. Amen. And so that's part of what we experience here. Now, let me try to get to this before time's up tonight. So here's the pattern. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll discover. So what's the pattern? Let's, let's kind of break this down real simple here. According to this verse, 
When does Jesus give? Does He give when you learn or does He give when you come? He gives when you come. But when do you discover what you've been given? Once you learn. You see, it's one thing to be made free by the blood of Jesus. It's another thing to learn from Jesus how to function in freedom. It's one thing to be positionally right before God in the eyes of God. It's another thing altogether for you to learn of Jesus how to live your life righteously, holy. Amen. Are you following me? Now, the Bible is filled with things that you were given when you came. <laughs> Did you know that? Things that are now yours, freely given to you by God, the day you became His beloved, the day you became one with Him through His Son, Jesus. The day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Fathers revealed to us in the parables of Luke 15, the lost sheep, the heart of the shepherd, the lost coin, the heart of the woman who lost it, the lost son or the two sons, prodigal sons is what he's often referred to, the heart of that father. In each one of those situations, each one of those situations, it's Jesus giving us a comparable, a parable to help us understand the heart of our father. And when that young boy went and squandered his inheritance, riotous living, wasteful living, hell-raising living, right? And he comes home to his father. The father in this story represents our heavenly father. And the father in this story said, well, I'm glad you're home, son. There's a, there's a sleeping bag out in the servants' quarters. Um, go, go find that and, um, and uh, get yourself cleaned up. And find you something to occupy yourself with. Stay out of trouble. Keep your nose clean. And, uh, and, and we'll see what we can do uh, maybe to get you some clothes or something uh, a few weeks from now if, if, you can keep it, if you can keep it together. Is that what he said? No. no. He came back. While he's saying, I'm not worthy to be called your son, his dad, all symbolic. Shoes symbolize freedom. The robe symbolizes right standing. The ring symbolizes authority to do business in his father's name. His father is putting the best robe, not just any old robe, the best on him, right? Why? See, the world doesn't love like that, right? Are you with me? I mean, I, listen, don't, don't let it disturb you if it happens, but there's a good chance that some of you here go home at Christmas and your aunt will hide her purse from you. Right, because she still sees you as a person who who's <laughs> less than a godly son or daughter of God. Amen or oh me, I'm just maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm just telling you. Okay, again, they 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 take a wait and see attitude. So we think, well, we come home to to, to Father God and we're going to serve Him, and maybe 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 we can earn our way back into His good graces, and then maybe 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 He'll give us a little help and do something for us. It's not how it works. Not how any of it works. You come home to Father, He gives you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He blesses you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He makes you just as right in His eyes as Jesus. He then, from that point forward, treats you like your sin never happened. Amen. He's forgiven you for His name's sake. See, back to that self-defined, 
relationship with God, which means a lot of people look at their quote-unquote relationship with God from the perspective of what's in it for me, what does it mean to me, what does it do for me, and we never consider for a single moment what it means to our Heavenly Father. He didn't just forgive you for your sake. He forgave you for His sake because the sin that we had all committed separated us from Him and He wanted us to be reunited together in right standing and oneness with Him. And so He forgave you so the desire of His heart could be fulfilled that God is faithful. He said God is faithful who has called you into the same fellowship with Himself as Jesus Christ our Lord. Would have never been possible if He had not forgiven you, but He didn't just forgive you. Remember, the blood of a bull could cover over sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he didn't say, the Lamb of God who's going to cover over our sin. No, he said, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away. Removed from us once and for all to never be held against us and to never be a factor in our standing with God ever again. You say, I just don't believe that, Pastor Mark. I just don't see what... See, again, you're looking at it because of what you think it means to you. That's why I said something earlier. I'm going I'm to come back to it now. Fellowship is the ultimate why. There's a sermon in our uh, library, I think it's three weeks back, titled, Fellowship is the Ultimate Why. W-H-Y, like why, right? Why would God do something like this? Why would He put this kind of blessing and favor and, and goodness and all these things in place in our lives? It's because without it, fellowship's not possible. You can't have fellowship with God without right standing with God. He won't. Remember, this is eternal life that they might have ongoing, uninterrupted, experiential knowledge of you. What do you think interrupts ongoing, uninterrupted, experiential knowledge? Sin. Sin interrupts because sin separates. So he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Jesus... To be one sacrifice for all sin for all time. I'm not trying to freak you out, but just hear me please. Jesus has already paid the price for sin you and I have not yet committed. So that our sin will never separate us from God the Father ever again. And you say, oh, you tell people that, they'll use that as an excuse to sin. First of all, we've never needed an excuse to sin. But 1 John chapter 3 says that if you understand this, and this develops hope, you have this hope, this confident ex expectation in you, it'll motivate you to purify your life even as Christ is pure. Amen. Only when you understand how much He loves you, how much He desires you, how much He longs for you, are you sufficiently and effectively motivated. Religion will use guilt, shame, condemnation to try to motivate you to live right. Scare you, try to put fear in you. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to deliver us from guilt and fear and shame and condemnation. And so none of those things are in my toolbox. I'm not here to use any of that. Are you hearing me? Titus says, Titus 2.11, grace will teach you. Grace will teach you to live righteously. Grace will teach you to live righteously and soberly in this present evil world. God's goodness to you, His desire for you, His affection for you. Amen. So come and I'll give. Come and I'll give. Learn of me and you'll discover. Let's look at it real quick and this is where we'll start next week, okay? You are a spirit. 
you have a soul, you live in a body. Your spirit, if you've been born again, is at rest tonight. world can be going chaos around you. Jesus, boat is filling with water, sinking, and he's biting his fingernails. No, he's asleep. Peter is going to be beheaded the next morning by Herod. And the angel who delivered him from the prison had to wake him up. That's rest. That's rest. Amen. See, your spirit is at rest. Your spirit is at rest. And if you will learn of Jesus, you will learn how to live in rest. Rest doesn't mean lazy. Rest doesn't mean inactive. Everything that we do, we're supposed to do from a place of rest, a place of confidence, a place of contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Learning of Jesus is where our minds are renewed and brought into alignment. Our thinking is brought into alignment with the reality that's already taken place in our born-again spirit. Amen. I'll show you all this, drawings, diagrams. you got it coming, okay? So learning of Jesus then is how we experience what we have already been given, what we've already received. Okay? Now let me show it to you. John, and then we'll pray. John 8, you talk about some more important discipleship verses, okay? John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, if a significant shift always comes with a significant... Anybody remember that? Yeah. If. A significant shift always comes with a significant if. So God is wanting to bring a significant shift in your life, but there's an if, right? So He says to these group, this group, um, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So I want you to see here that when Jesus first reached out to these people, they rejected it. They're like, no, sir, you know, we, we, they gave him credit for standing up to the religious bullies, but Jesus saw a crack in the door. He tried to, you know, ease through that crack, open the door a little wider, and they slammed it shut. All right? Now, let's go to verse 34. Jesus answered them most assuredly. That's very important words right there. Anytime Jesus says most assuredly, King James Version may say verily, verily. Anytime he says most assuredly, he's, a, he's, a, he's about to say something that's going to be very profound and a lot of people are going to say that can't be right. So he's almost like, okay, brace yourself. Don't let this sell over your head. Don't let this be too strong, but I'm telling you it's true, even if it doesn't seem true, okay? Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son, capital S-O-N, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So what Jesus is saying here is you're, these people were, were declaring we're not in bondage to anything or anybody. And Jesus says, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. Right? He who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
And because they're a slave, they do not abide in father's house. But a son, on the other hand, does abide in father's house. Now watch this. I know this may be controversial for some people, but listen to me, please. Anybody in here got children? Okay. Your children ever done anything wrong? <laughs> do they still abide in your house? I mean, you know what I'm saying? In other words, this idea he's saying here, listen, I've, I've come to make you sons of God. And if you'll let me make you a son of God, I will set you free from sin and you will abide in Father's house, right? Whether you make a mistake or not. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that someone who becomes a son of God never makes another mistake, never, never. We're growing, amen? We start out as spiritual babies. Spiritual babies wet their pampers, amen? We're not going to stay spiritual babies, though. We're going to grow. We're going to develop. Now, this last verse 36, okay? Therefore, if the Son makes you free. See, they didn't want Jesus to make them free because they didn't want to even acknowledge that they had a problem or that he had the ability to do what he offered to do for them. All right? But he says, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, free indeed, think that's a, that's a compound word, all one word, in, indeed. But break it down, in D-E-E-D. I like to say it this way. Free, it literally means in your performed action. Free in your performed action. All right, I got to land this plane. So watch me very carefully. I know some of you have taken notes. Watch me very carefully, okay? I like to illustrate it this way, all right? Ball within a ball within a ball. You got it? Spirit, soul, mind, emotions, will, thoughts, feelings, choices. Spirit, soul, body. All right? If the Son makes you free, when you were born again, you were made free. You shall be free if you learn of Jesus. Come and I'll give. Learn of me and you will find. You'll discover. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free in your performed actions. Okay. Now, if you sit around and beg God to make you free as a born-again believer, oh, God, set me free, set me free. One of the prayers God cannot answer is when you ask Him to do something He's already done for you. Okay? All right? Now, you can get born again and be made free. Okay? And then live the rest of your life if you never learn of Jesus with a, with a fear of bondage, with struggling with this area and this whatever. But see, again, see the pattern. This is not going to be the first time you hear anything like this in these classes, I promise you. But again, makes you free. Come and I'll give. Come and I'll give you rest. Learn of me and you'll enjoy rest. You'll discover rest. You'll experience the rest. He gives it. You learn, you experience. Spirit, soul, body. So what are we doing in here tonight? A lot of things, but one of the things we're doing in here is we're allowing the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God working and moving among us to renew our thinking, to give us a different perspective, to show us things we haven't seen before, to see it in a way that we've never understood it before. And now notice lights start coming on, right, inside. It's like Shazam. I, I, you know, I knew something was up. I'm talking to people in this room right now. You sit at a bar, drunk out of your mind, telling people about Jesus. Yep. <laughs> you, 
So, well, that's, that's just blasphemy. No, it's not blasphemy. It's Him in you. Now, are you living free in your performed action in that moment? No, you're not. But here's the thing. You're sitting there thinking you're an alcoholic. Maybe some of you sitting around a room with a bunch of folks saying, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not. You've been made free. You've been made free. Discipleship is about learning how to live out in your life reality all the things Jesus has already done for you, given to you, made you. Amen? i got to pray. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for helping us understand it. Father, we've covered a lot of ground tonight. We've said a lot of things, a lot of important things. And I thank you, Father, that the enemy will not steal this word. He will not steal this word. And this, this word will not find shallow soil spring up and then wither, you know, collapse and wither away when the least amount of pressure is, is directed to it. But, Father... It's, it's going to take deep root in our hearts and it's going to produce 30, 60, 100 fold results in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Your love, know that you're loved. Thank you for being here. You have no idea how encouraging it is for me to see this many people coming. Oh, sign in if you haven't signed in. Fill out a registration form. If you haven't filled out a registration form and if you got a jet, you can do it next week as well. We love you. Good things coming. Life and peace.